Hello and welcome to The Bunker. I'm Chris Jones. As we record, the war in Gaza has blazed on for well over 120 days. Over 23,000 Palestinians have died and over 1,000 in Israel. It's a brutal and painful war and one that hasn't shown any real signs of ending. That has left many questioning the man at the centre of it all, Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu. Is he losing his grip on power in Israel and has his command over the war brought about a rift with his biggest allies, the United States? Well, joining me now is Nahal Tusi, Politico's senior foreign affairs correspondent who wrote last month the US is dealing with an Israeli leader who's losing control. Hi, Nahal. Hi, thanks for having me. It's great to have you on. Let's start super simple with this and strip everything back. I want to talk about Netanyahu's politics. What does he stand for? What what are his politics? He's a very conservative on the right side of the Israeli spectrum. Uh, now, you know, the Israeli spectrum over the years has overall shifted right, uh, and he's gone even further to the right. Uh, But, you know, this is a guy who's been prime minister on and off for 16 years, the longest serving prime minister in Israel's history. And so he's had a tremendous amount of influence uh, in shaping the country's political trajectory. And and how has this changed since um, this latest bout of fighting broke out? Has anything changed about his politics? You know, I would say it's more that the Israeli population has shifted even more to the right than it was before when it comes to the issue of how to deal with the Palestinians, Hamas in particular. And in a way, that is kind of supportive of the way that Netanyahu has been going for a long time. And what happened was when October 7th happened, the Hamas uh, terrorist, vicious, brutal attacks, uh, Mm. that really, really hardened Israelis uh, against the idea of a Palestinian state. And so now, you know, Netanyahu, in a sense, has that to lean on when he goes out there and denounces the idea of a future Palestinian state or or giving up uh, security control or anything like that. Now, there's another piece of this, though, which is his own personal political survival that he has to think about. He's facing corruption charges. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people, even those who might agree with him now on the Palestinian issue, Uh, blame him for the security failure that led to October 7th. So just because they might agree with him ideologically does not mean they want to see him stay in power. They don't think he has handled this well. Tell us a little bit about those corruption charges. How how serious are these? Basically, there's three main charges. Uh, They range from allegedly to accepting gifts to taking actions that might benefit uh, certain wealthy businessmen, that sort of thing. It's it's a mix of different things. And they've been lingering for quite a long time. And he, you know, just being a prime minister isn't enough to protect him from having to stand trial or anything like yeah. that. But the belief is that his hope is that his allies, especially those on the far right who he has joined to create this coalition that he is now leading, can make moves to protect him from these charges going forward. Yeah, and legally, these aren't the only difficulties that he's faced. We also had the International Court of Justice that found that uh, Israel's acts in Gaza could amount to genocide and ordered them to, uh, to take measures to avoid genocidal acts. How has this ruling damaged Netanyahu, but also his government as well? You know, it's it's really hard to 
say exactly whether there's been an impact on yeah. his government. I my sense is that the action taken by South Africa to take this case to the international court of justice the, and the ruling has actually really upset a lot of Israelis across the political spectrum right. who you know feel like Israel is being singled out unfairly that it is acting in self-defense that its actions do not amount to genocide and that what the international community is doing is uh hypocritical <laughs> and so you you know i it seems like Netanyahu is actually using the court's ruling to say look like you know, they're against us. And it's a way he can actually stir support for himself and his positioning. Because no matter really where you stand on Netanyahu in Israel, there is a very widespread belief that you cannot allow Hamas to continue to run Gaza or really exist in any acceptable format. Like among Israelis, I mean, they will not tolerate Hamas's continued operation in that area after what happened on October 7th. So that is something that um, Netanyahu can, again, lean on to support his position, even if it means, you know, saying that the court's ruling is ridiculous. Yeah. And you, you mentioned it there. This this court case was brought by South Africa. Um, do, do you think that that was that was strange, particularly coming from South Africa, when you consider things like its its neutrality uh, over the war in Ukraine and the full scale invasion? Um, and do you think because of its stance there that perhaps the ruling that did come about from the ICJ perhaps didn't have the power that it could have done if it had come from someone else? Does that make any sense? It's yeah, no, I see where you're coming from. Look, the one thing I, I've learned about South African politics uh, in recent years is that they're not very easily defined. It's a very strange situation as they try to kind of carve out a space for themselves as yeah. a leader in the global South. So, you know, am I surprised South Africa brought this case? No, not really. I mean, there's a long like history of, you know, supporting the underdog in a place like South Africa, right? Um, but they also have long historical memories in South Africa. So they, for instance, have been uh, unwilling to kind of come out against what Russia is doing to Ukraine, which is leading to a charge of hypocrisy on their part. Uh, they want to maintain good relations or relations at least with all the, the so-called great powers. Yeah. Uh, and that sometimes means upsetting the uh, the United States. But the U.S. also, I can tell you that, you know, they're extremely wary of losing South Africa. So they are extremely cautious about how they respond. Yeah, I, I used to work for South African media for for a little bit, and and we could probably talk for a long time about Cyril Ramaphosa and his government and the strange things they do. But um, let's get back to Netanyahu, and let's specifically talk about this relationship with the US because it has grown tense, hasn't it? Extremely, um, and it, it was headed that way for quite a while. You know, Netanyahu over the years has, in a quest to stay in power, to keep power done a lot of things that have included exploiting partisan divisions in the United States. So yeah. he openly supported President Trump, even though he has had a relationship with Joe Biden, who is a Democrat for, for decades. Their relationship was under strain from the very beginning for a variety of reasons, including Netanyahu's efforts to overhaul Israel's judiciary. The, the U.S. government certainly right now 
does not trust him. They mm. think that he's really only looking out for himself. They worry that his ultimate goal actually is to just keep this war going, uh, right. even if it means dragging in U.S. troops somehow, because it, they think that that is what he believes will benefit him politically. Uh, he will get to stay in power longer. And maybe over time, like if there is some success, you know, Israelis will change their mind about how much they dislike him. So I don't see it improving anytime soon. One of my colleagues just reported the other day that uh, Biden has had some very choice words about Netanyahu uh, in private. The White House denies this. I'm pretty sure uh, I trust my colleague. So... (laughs) (laughs) So it's it's not great. And I I can tell you when I talk to U.S. officials, a lot of the things that they talk about when it comes to the future of Israel and the Palestinian state and things like that, it hinges on the hope that Netanyahu will not be in power. Yeah. And and, and you mentioned Biden there. And I wanted to ask about um, Biden and, and his actions, because has he, over the course of this this war, got tougher on, on Netanyahu? It seems like there was almost an air of sympathy, perhaps, at the beginning of this. And that seems to have shifted. And especially, I see now that some sanctions have been placed on West Bank settlers, too. So, so is Biden getting tougher? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, in the beginning, I actually wrote a story when this whole thing first happened, October 7th, my first piece on this was basically telling, you know, saying Hamas just did Netanyahu a favor. You know, he and Biden are going to be getting along better for a while as a result Mm -hmm. of what Hamas just did. So for a while there, there was exceptional closeness, President Biden expressing real deep concern for Israel and and what Netanyahu and the others are going through. Um, but then over time, as, as the arc of these stories normally goes, Biden was basically telling Netanyahu and his team, you have to be more careful when you're targeting Hamas, you're killing a lot of Palestinian civilians. You have to let in some aid. Uh, you have to do these things. You have to follow the ro- laws of war. And the Israelis have really, really pushed back uh, at pretty much every step of the way. And one of the things that they're really pushing back on, and which Netanyahu has never truly been comfortable with or wanted, is this idea of uh, you know looking at a very long-term horizon of having a Palestinian state in the future. The idea being from the Biden team, look, you have to give the Palestinians hope or they're not going to stop fighting. And so they keep using this term political horizon. I'm not a big fan of that term, you know, because a horizon is something you can never actually reach. But the point yeah. being, they, they want to give hope. But but Netanyahu comes out and says, uh, no, like I don't support it. I mean, he, he's flat out ruled it out. So then the tensions get even worse. There was, I believe, Oh, I want to say it was about a month where Biden and Netanyahu did not even talk. Mm. And then, you know, when they did, basically Biden was urging him to let some uh, of the money that the Palestinian Authority needs reach them. And Netanyahu hasn't been willing to do that. And that affects the Palestinian Authority's actions in the West Bank. It's, It's weakness in the long run, that sort of thing. And it's just been very much, very, very much a lot of tension. But at the same time, uh, the U.S. officials know they he's the one in charge. Well, you know, officially, uh, he's mm. very much captured in a way by his far right allies. So they're not entirely yeah. sure he's in control, uh, but they do have to deal with him. And so they they're keep going back uh, again and again. Secretary Antony Blinken is uh, in the Middle East this week, uh, once again on another trip, uh, trying to deal with, with Netanyahu. Hi, I'm Katie Riley. On the slow newscast from Tortoise, Donald Trump became the first former U.S. president in history to face a criminal trial. The defendant repeatedly made false statements on New York business records. This is not a trial. This is not a 
an act of criminality. We cannot and will not normalize serious criminal conduct. This is the story of his first week in court told through the transcripts. Listen now to the Slow Newscast wherever you get your podcasts. This rift that is growing ever bigger between Netanyahu and and the U.S., how damaging could that be to Netanyahu where he is positioned at the moment? Could this essentially be the thing that causes his downfall, perhaps? So this is an excellent question. Now, you know, Netanyahu's party, as you say, is the Likud party. It's very conservative, but it's not the far, far right. And one of the questions that Likud party leaders have to ask themselves in the months ahead is whether they still want Netanyahu as their leader or whether he's become too much of a burden. So, you know, while there are opposition parties and and other things that Netanyahu faces, uh, you know, in terms of challenges to his power over time, uh, his own party, members of his own party, uh, may decide to turn against him. And one of the things to that they have to think about is his relationship, you know, and by, in effect, Israel's relationship with the United States. Yeah. Now, you know, there are some on the far right, far right parties uh, who say, you know what, Israel is not another star on the American flag. Uh, forget the United States, whatever. I mean, they're just sort of a bit unrealistic, perhaps, um, mm. when you look at the relationship. Uh, but many in Likud understand the importance of the relationship with the U.S. And so if they feel as if he has really threatened that, they might go with another leader and, yeah. in a sense, force a party leadership change, which, you know, kind of internally will change the prime minister or perhaps could lead to, you know, splits and collapses. It's very complicated. Getting a new Israeli election happening is not a simple process. So, I mean, Netanyahu has that in his favor. Um, And they also have to ask about his relationship with Israelis themselves. There's a lot of unhappiness with him. Uh, Many um, Israelis, including the families of the hostages, are furious with his unwillingness to take responsibility for the situation. And they they want him gone. And so if over time you see more protests, more popular pressure, that actually might lead members of the Likud party to say, you know what, we don't need this guy anymore. Maybe it's time he retire. Yeah. And and how realistic do you think that that is? You know, I think the next legislative election is, is 2026. I, th- I think that's right. Um, it's a little while away still, but any popularity that he has had before this war broke out. Do you think that that has just been corroded away amongst many Israeli people who perhaps previous to this would have voted for him? Yeah, no, I mean, there's a lot of people who support the goal of eradicating Hamas, but are very much eager to see Netanyahu go because they blame him for what happened on October 7th, he kind of sold himself for years as the one man who was protecting Israel. He has this very deep, charming voice. It's mm. it's kind of like when you listen to it, it, it's easy to get hypnotized by it. But then you realize, yeah. oh, he just completely didn't you know, answer my question or <laughs> whatever it was. Um, but look, Israeli politics are very unusual and sometimes unpredictable. And so someone who's vilified one minute may become a hero two weeks later. Someone who you think would never do the kind of thing that he does, he suddenly might do it. I mean, Ariel Sharon, I think, was an example of a hardliner who made decisions um, about withdrawing settlers from Gaza that that surprised a lot of people. It's a former prime minister. Um, 
So Netanyahu in his in his situation, if he scores some major victory, like hey, say he takes out Hamas military leader Yahya Sinwar, or he finds some other way to prove to Israelis that he's got their back, it's possible enough might forgive him that he could still cling to power. And there's coalition politics as well, right? So um, his position is no question weakened, but I just would never um, completely write him off. And then just finally, if he doesn't cling to power, because that is a serious possibility that he doesn't get reelected, if he doesn't cling to power... What state is not just Israeli politics left in, but then what future is available for for Palestinians? What 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 is the future likely to look like without Netanyahu there? I think that there's a sense uh, in the West, at least, that if Netanyahu leaves power, maybe there's at least a shot at some sort of future peace process involving the Palestinians that maybe, maybe, maybe might lead to something like maybe kind of a state. But that really, really depends on who takes power afterward. And I really, from what, you know, what I gather based on talking to people and and, and the polls and other things is like, even if you get right now, like the most left-wing realistic candidate you can find, there's just such broad opposition yeah. to a Palestinian state in the future, anything that's serious like that, that it's going to be a very long road ahead and there's just mm. going to be a million obstacles in the way. And again, the goal of eliminating Hamas is something that's shared by everyone around along the political spectrum. So, you know, right now, the most popular politician in Israel is Benny Gantz. He's mm. an opposition leader. He is a member of the emergency unity war cabinet um, that Netanyahu put together post-October 7th. And it's possible that if the war shifts to a uh, lower intensity mode or quote-unquote ends, by the way, nobody knows what that means, ending this yeah. war, uh, that maybe Gantz might make a move to try to take power. But that does not mean that he's going to be like, oh, yes, and let's have a Palestinian state now. And it, it, it's this is this is something that um, I really am starting to think it's not going to happen in my life. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, well, you said that it's, um, it's a very long road ahead, but let's hope that that, that long road does eventually lead to, to some peace. Nahal, thanks for your time. Thanks for having me. Listeners, we want to keep bringing you important conversations like this. And if you want that too, why not consider backing us on Patreon? For just £3 a month, you get all of our episodes first, ad-free, and a chance to get your hands on some of our exclusive merchandise. And if you want to keep up to date with all of the latest developments on global conflicts, why not listen to our sister podcast, This Is Not A Drill, with former Newsnight host Gavin Esler. I'm Chris Jones, and you've been listening to The Bunker, your need to know on news and politics. The Bunker was written and presented by Chris Jones, who is also the producer. Audio production by Robin Leeburn, Art by Jim Parrott and music by Kenny Dickinson. The managing editor is Jacob Jarvis, group editor Andrew Harrison and The Bunker is a Podmasters production.